0: PRs in in training are nice, but it really is a completely different animal when you're out on the platform, you're competing against other weightlifters, there's judges, there's adrenaline, and it's just a completely different experience.
1: Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest minds and the biggest personalities from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is proudly presented by BarBend.com. Today we have a first-of-its-kind historic episode in Barbend podcast history, and that's because we are talking to the second member of a married couple, and we've had both spouses on this podcast. Today I'm talking to weightlifter, kettlebell athlete, and trainer Rebecca Rouse, and we actually had her husband, Joel Del Rosario, on the podcast about two years ago. I sit down today to talk with Rebecca about, well training in kettlebells how she built a really big social following in that modality making the transition to weightlifting competing on the national stage and what it's like to have to find new coaches when you move around the country this is a really fun one i had a blast talking with rebecca and if you haven't already listened to the episode with her husband we will link that in the show notes and the description so make sure to give that a listen as well hope you guys enjoy All right, Rebecca, thanks for joining us. I think this is the second time. No, it's the first time in Barben podcast history that we have had both spouses on the podcast. So, you and your husband Joel have the rare distinction of being the first husband-wife to both appear on the Barben podcast. Quick reactions, does it make you feel good, bad, somewhere in between, or you could care less?
0: No, it definitely makes me feel good. I I love uh that he and I share that passion for strength and physical fitness and it's such a big part of our lives as individuals and as a couple. So I'm definitely honored and I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you.
1: I do remember I was actually looking back at old Instagram messages we had with Joel when we were setting up the podcast with him, like almost two years ago at this point. And one of the first things he said, like while we're trying to schedule, was, Why do you want to have me on? You should totally have my wife on the podcast instead. He was just trying to like swap you in. And just like, and I was like, no, Joel, like we reached out to you for a reason. Like that sounds great as Rebecca sounds awesome as well, but like we we want to talk to you about specific things. And he was just very much, he's like, no, you should, you should talk to her. No one cares about, no one cares about me. So he was being, he was really talking you up.
0: He's a wonderful, very humble man. And I mean, in the last two years, his, his following and his notoriety in both the Instagram and Kettlebell community and in the Marine Corps. Both have grown. So I know if you were to have a conversation with him today compared to two years ago, it'd probably be a very different conversation in terms of the, the social media following influence and, and reach. So uh, but that's very kind of him. He's a he's a sweetheart.
1: That's the Barbin podcast effect. You come on the Barbin podcast and everything starts going well for you in fitness, Absolutely. in your career. You know, it's just up and to the right. I'm I'm kidding. I know it's the culmination <laughs> of of a lifetime of work he's done. Well, let's talk about you enough about your husband. I'm sure I'll come up later in the podcast at some point. Like maybe he's he's no slouch. Let's talk about your career in fitness because when I for when you first came on to to my radar personally, and when we were talking to Joel, it was as you were transitioning into being a competitive weightlifter as your main outlet. I think you were still doing a lot in the kettlebell world, which is really cool. Not to say that You're not doing anything in that, but it was kind of an earlier phase in your competitive weightlifting journey. But I would love to go way back even further beyond that and talk about your athletic career experience and physical culture, etc.
0: Sure. So we have to rewind a few decades and going back to age three, that's when I started gymnastics. Obviously, at age three, it was very recreational, just something my parents put me in gymnastics after I was apparently bored in dance and ballet, I wanted something a little bit more exciting. So at three, I started gymnastics. At seven, I started competing in the sport. And I competed all the way up until high school around age 15, at which point I had both burnout and a severe knee injury. I dislocated my knee four days before the state championships going into, I think I was in eighth grade, about to go into high school. So that was kind of my turning point for ending gymnastics and kind of moving on with that part of my life. Uh, I know a lot of young gymnasts kind of really have to make a decision if they're gonna stay with it going into high school because balancing academics and gymnastics being such a, a demanding sport can be very taxing on a young kid. So that was kind of my career ender when I dislocated my knee, and I realized it was a sign I needed to move on from the sport. So all through high school, I kind of dabbled. I went started going to the gym, but I didn't really know how to lift weights because gymnastics is an all body weight sport. So I didn't know squatting and hinging and pushing and pulling. I just knew the gymnastics movements, which obviously gave me a great foundation for strength, for flexibility, mobility, discipline, all the things that all the good things that come from being a gymnast for such a long time through my childhood. But uh, I started learning about kind of basic movements, and honestly, it was a lot of cardio. I was definitely a cardio bunny at first because I didn't know anything different. And then towards the end of my high school years, I got into starting to strength train in the gym. Uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine taught me how to kind of do bodybuilding style workouts, my muscle group split. So that's what I did all through college. And college is when I really got into the weight room scene and started to learn about strength training and building muscle and hypertrophy and a little bit about nutrition. So I put on muscle quickly in college when I started lifting weights consistently and fell in love with just seeing the body change and grow and gain muscle and learning more about it. And so I did a figure competition in 2012. I was 21 years old. Glad I did it once. Never going to do it again. (laughs) Learned a lot about myself during that period of time. Um, And then it was really after college that I got into the world of functional fitness. I became a personal trainer, got my certification, and I got kettlebell certified through Strong First. And that was in 2016. And then all through basically my early career as as a trainer, I started just learning as much as I could about different strength training modalities, TRX, and Body weight training and kettlebell training and USA weightlifting and just all the different strength training modalities that I could get my hands on, fell in love with kettlebells and did not exclusively, but largely just kettlebells for several years. And then it was around 2018 when I found weightlifting and I hired my first weightlifting coach and was still doing a good mix of strength training modalities during that time. And But I did my first weightlifting competition in 2019. And then it was in 2021 when I moved to Texas, which is where I am now, that I met my current coach and he really took my weightlifting to the next level. And about two years ago, almost exactly, was when I just went completely all in on Olympic weightlifting.
1: Let's talk a little bit about kettlebells, which we have not done on this podcast in a while. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail after this. People are like, you talk about kettlebells too much. I actually had a moratorium on it. We were not allowed to talk about kettlebells on the podcast for almost a year because oh, wow. we had several kettlebell sport athletes on the podcast, several folks from the hard style, functional side of things. Tell me a little bit about some of the misconceptions that you receive It could be in person. It could be on social media when it comes to kettlebell training, because so much of the content you produced for so long and you really, you kind of built your following around was of you doing a lot of kettlebell workouts and working with a lot of people who train almost exclusively in kettlebells, but maybe not fully exclusively.
0: Definitely. I think a big misconception early on, maybe not as much now, is that they were just for CrossFit because I think CrossFit helped popularize a lot of... Modalities, including weightlifting. Yeah. Sure. And also kettlebells. The way that they train uh, kettlebells in CrossFit is a little bit different than some of the more hard style or even the kettlebell sport modalities. So, CrossFit kind of has its own dogma when it comes to kettlebell training within the CrossFit world. But I think a lot of people thought it was just for CrossFit or that it was just for fancy Instagram tricks because people saw the juggling or the throwing or the flows and different things. I don't think people realize that you could really build a lot of strength and power with kettlebells and that you can really train the whole body. And I think especially during COVID when people didn't have gym access necessarily, I think they became more popular. People started to realize that you could really make your home gym out of just a set of kettlebells. Mm. And so I think over the last couple of years, they've grown in popularity. People have become a little bit more educated and knowledgeable about what really can be accomplished with kettlebells. I don't think they're the end-all be-all, but I do think they're a fantastic tool. I think they're extremely versatile and their their versatility and portability are two of the things that I love most about them. So I'm glad people are kind of waking up to the possibilities that can, when it comes to whatever fitness goals you have, whether that's strength, power, endurance, and mobility, you can really achieve all of that with kettlebells.
1: Okay. The thing I hear most that you might hate, and I would love for you to address this, can you build muscle with kettlebells? Because that's What I hear so often is like, oh, like you can train kettlebells, but it's because you trained with a barbell for so many years, right? You can't build muscle with kettlebells. You know, the eccentric, concentric proportions are totally, totally non-conducive to hypertrophy. What are your thoughts there? Because obviously when you started training, it wasn't with kettlebells. You had a base of fitness and hypertrophy.
0: Yes, definitely. I think that there are a lot of different ways to skin the hypertrophy cat. Kettlebells are one of many tools that can result in hypertrophy. And hypertrophy, or muscle gain, has more to do with how you train in terms of sets, reps, going to failure, rest in between sessions, targeting muscle groups You know, X number of times per week. It's really the programming specifics that determine the adaptations. It's not necessarily the tool. If we're talking about muscle build, if we're talking about strength, I think most people would probably agree that the barbell will always reign, reign supreme because of the sheer numbers. You can load more total poundage on a barbell than you can lift with kettlebells because it's one implement versus two. And so for that's why the strength barbells, the strength sports are typically your barbell sports, your powerlifting and your Olympic weightlifting. But when it comes to hypertrophy, you can gain muscle with any implement, any type of tool. It really just comes down to the programming specifics that will determine the adaptation.
1: Let's talk about your transition to weightlifting. That is something we don't always see. We don't see kettlebell, primary kettlebell athletes moving toward snatches and clean and jerks with a barbell. Yeah. Bit of a transition. What, what triggered that for you?
0: So that for me was in 2018. I moved from the West Coast to the East Coast because of Joel's uh, military career transitioning us to a new duty station. And I was still working with the same company. I was working for Equinox. A uh, gym and moved from San Diego to New York City, and I was looking for a way to stay focused on my own fitness, my own goals because I was swamped with work. I had fifty trainers I was managing in my club; it was a huge club, and I knew that if I didn't make sure that I had time set aside for me and for my personal workouts and my goals, that I could very easily get swallowed up by the workload and put it off and. And make excuses to to not train so i hired a coach so that would help me stay accountable to a program to showing up for my training sessions and to make sure i had one hour of protected time that trainers weren't interrupting me members weren't interrupting me and it was just myself and my trainer and so at the time i kind of started to get the urge to compete again i hadn't competed in anything since gymnastics which i finished i stopped that in 2005, uh, 2005 and this was now 2018 and so I never thought I would compete in anything again, but for whatever reason, maybe just the transition kind of into a new phase of life, new location, I just got the urge to focus on a specific goal. My goals were always prior to that had always been very general. I want to get stronger. I want to get leaner, whatever. But I just decided I wanted to focus on a more specific goal and I wanted to be around strength. And so the, the coach that I spoke to, I said, I want to compete in something strength related. I'm just not sure if I want to go powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting. And he was himself an Olympic lifter, a coach, and an athlete. And so obviously, he was very biased. But he gave me a, his word of advice and said, you know, with your gymnastics background, your mobility, your strength, and your proprioception, your just body awareness it being so good, you have all the tools you need to be a really successful weightlifter. You just need to learn the technique. And so I followed his lead and hired him, and he got me ready for my first Weightlifting competition about eight months later, and then kind of went from there. And I bounced around the country again just because of Joel's career and, and my own. And so I ended up mo- with moving back to San Diego on a different coach then, and then moved to Texas. Now I'm on my third coach, but just continued on that weightlifting trajectory because I fell in love with it.
1: So was that your first time ever attempting the barbell snatch and clean and jerk in like a focused way?
0: In a focused way, yes. I had dabbled, just learned from. I actually took the USA weightlifting certification a few years prior, but. Mm did nothing with it. I mean, I didn't practice it that much or that frequently. I had a couple trainers that I worked with that were into it. And so I I dabbled with them, but nothing serious until I hired him in 2018.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, what were your first impressions then? I mean, the gymnastics background, the strength background, those are all things that a lot of folks wish, I think, they had when when they found weightlifting or when they start weightlifting. But my guess is you didn't just pick up a barbell and go, "Oh, this came this comes naturally." Wow, the snatch. What an in, what an intuitive easy movement. Locked <laughs> not in even
0: close. No, not even close. It was it's so technical. I mean, that's I think that's what deters most people. I'd say it's that the technicality of the lifts and the amount of mobility required. Most people don't have adequate mobility in their shoulders, in their hips, in their thoracic spine, in their ankles to be a successful weightlifter, which is why I think it's one of the reasons, that's not a super popular sport, but yes, it was, I had the strength for sure. So I could squat, I could press and pull pretty decent numbers, but the technique lagged far behind my strength. And I think that's kind of, there's like the two, the two scales when it comes to weightlifting, your strength and your technique. And one is usually following the other, you know, you're kind of chasing and and trying to even them out. And then you'll have a, a great spurt in your strength and then your technique kind of lags behind and then you'll really focus on your technique and then that gets way better. And then your strength kind of lags behind. And so you get, I think at first the technique is the biggest learning curve, but once you get to a certain point, it's kind of their neck and neck and they're always chasing one another. But at first, yeah, that technique learning curve was very steep.
1: It's like keeping control of you, of yourself as a Sims character, right? You're (laughs) trying to keep everything. You can only like keep everything at a certain balance. Were there any mobility restrictions that you struggled with, because obviously your gymnastics background, your your background in in squatting and, and lifting to full range of motion, you might think, oh, I got this, right? But sometimes you're doing an overhead squat or you attempt a snatch and you go, wait a minute, that's tighter than I thought it was, or I'm not getting into this position in a way that I assumed I could. Were there any of those mobility restrictions you kind of discovered early on that you had to work around?
0: Honestly, no. Not oh, really. great. I'm very fortunate to have it's extremely solid mobility, almost to the point of hypermobility in some ways. I think a lot of gymnasts probably experience that at some point. I know a lot of gymnasts don't continue on to go into different sports or other athletics, although some, some do move into weightlifting or CrossFit, but I, I was really fortunate to have adequate mobility to support my my weightlifting. So that wasn't a thing for me.
1: You were the only person who's ever answered that question in that way Because I mean, I've talked to former gymnasts on this podcast who transitioned to weightlifting and they've always said, oh, you know, actually I assumed it would be great, but I didn't have a ton of wrist mobility or like my dorsiflexion was actually really, really bad. Mm -hmm. You know, things that don't necessarily come up in in the day-to-day in gymnastics, but they realize, oh, actually it's just pretty poor. So that just really derails the rest of the podcast (laughs) because I I was just going to riff off that for another 10 minutes. No, I'm, I'm completely kidding. Let's talk about. Competing Because one thing I love is that you you went in, focused like, hey, I do this because I want to eventually compete in it. And I think that people, when they start a strength sport, especially weightlifting, they get scared to compete. I certainly was back in my days of competing in weightlifting. And I was a terrible weightlifter. I just want to get that out there. But it's very easy just to get into it and train it for years and years and not compete. It's very different than to put a date on the calendar and say, oh, I actually have to go Test my total here, and I have three attempts each of the snatch and clean and jerk. Let's talk about that, and then how often did you start competing after that first competition? Eight months into your
0: weightlifting career. Great questions. I let's let's just start off by saying I have a love hate relationship with competing. I I love being able to test myself to put all the hard work for twelve or sixteen weeks. That I put into my training and put it all to the test on the platform. There's just nothing like it. The the whole competition, I try to be as present as possible during those days because there's so many emotions that go along with Mm. competing. And I've I've always, since I was a young gymnast, I've always had performance anxiety. I think it comes from in gymnastics, you start at a perfect 10 and anything you do that isn't perfect, you get deductions for. So I'm just programmed to set a really high bar for myself and have really high expectations and put a ton of pressure on myself. And that has never gone away. So I have still a lot of performance anxiety, usually a week or two before the meet, I will start to get anxious or sometimes start to lose sleep over just the anticipation of the competition. And that's something I've really had to work hard on just keeping under control. Um, but the the love side is just being able to, again, like we said, like put every, all the hard work to the test. And so I think it's, it's very different, like you said, to just train and train and train and train and PRs and in, in training are nice, but it really is a completely different animal. When you're out on the platform, you're competing against other weightlifters, there's judges, there's adrenaline, and it's just a completely different experience. And so I'm really glad that I pushed myself to do that and continue to do that on a regular basis. So I can put myself in uncomfortable situations. I think it's helped me grow a lot. I think it's helped me work on my mental toughness, my resilience, my performance under pressure, and my ability to fail and, and move forward because not every meet is a six for six meet. Not every meet is a PR. And honestly, at first it was because when you're a newer lifter, you're hitting PRs every meet. Everything's just on this upward trajectory and it's all gravy. And then you get to a point where you're not adding 10 kilos every meet. You're not hitting your PRs every single time. And so that I'm kind of at that point now where... You know, I'm I'm really having to work extra hard, or uh, just become, show up in my absolute best, uh, and not that doesn't happen all the time. And so, being able to bounce back from those those lower moments or those meets where I just didn't have my best day, or what have you, any number of of circumstances that have occurred. But that's kind of where I'm at now. So I just love the journey, and I'm, I'm trying to make the most of the time that I, I'm 32 years old right now. So I'm just I know I have a few years left at to continue climbing that ladder before I hit my peak. So I'm just trying to make the most of it and, and enjoy the journey along the way. Do
1: you have any specific goals as far as qualification for, you know, different competitions like nationals, potentially international teams, et cetera,
0: anything like that? Yes and no. So I've competed now twice at nationals and I just, this past July was my second time. And honestly, going when I started the sport, I never even thought or believed I could make it to the national level. So mm-hmm. I'm already thrilled to be competing at the national level and just enjoying all of that. If I were to be able to qualify to be in a national international team, I would love that. Honestly, I'm not even really sure how that how that works. I don't know if you have to be handpicked or if it's based on your total or what. But if I were to be invited, I would absolutely take that opportunity and just continue building my my career and building my the experiences that I get to uh, enjoy and, and earn as a weightlifter.
1: Let's talk about transitioning coaches and finding a new coach because weightlifting is in a very different place than it was 15 or so years ago. I remember the first time I moved to New York City, finding a weightlifting gym was a real headache and I had to commute about 55 minutes to an hour to actually get to a place that had platforms and a barbell
0: sure.
1: each way. And and that was you know in, in the same city these days, as you referenced, CrossFit, Partially cross it, and actually, really, a lot of cross it has made it much easier for people to get access to this equipment. You actually have bumper plates and and good barbells, and and people who know what they're doing um, in more areas than ever. How did you go about finding a new coach or weightlifting club while you were moving or during those moves?
0: Well, the first two coaches that I had, I was fortunate because I I worked, like I said, for Equinox. Equinox mm-hmm. uh, hasn't. An- trainers with all different backgrounds and experiences and specialties. And so both equinoxes that I worked at in 2018, 19 and then 2020 both had a coach on the team who was a specialist in CrossFit or weightlifting. So my first coach was specifically weightlifting. My second coach was a CrossFit and weightlifting specialist. And so when I moved from New York back to San Diego, it was a no brainer for me to just hire him because he was the one coach on the team that had the weightlifting background. So I worked with him and he took me to my second meet in 2020. And then that was like a month before COVID. Throughout COVID, I didn't specifically stick to weightlifting because I didn't always have a barbell with me or or near me. So I did a lot of kettlebells during that time just to maintain. And then after, after that, in 2021, September 2021, I moved to Texas. And I really it was kind of happenstance that I got introduced to my current coach when I moved here through a family friend who I've known my entire life. He now lives in, in Texas as well in my area. And he, when I first moved here, he said, "I know you're into weightlifting. If you're interested in coming to meet my coach, I'd love to take you to a training session or two, and you can see if if you like it." And it's not even at a gym. It's at a it's in a two car garage in just a neighborhood, and it's a, a kind of official unofficial barbell club that has been in that location since 1974. My coach is 76 years old. He's super old school, and dozens and dozens of athletes have come through there over the last five decades and i just thought it was such a unique experience and it was just a dusty garage with barbells and squat racks that they had literally created themselves like welded in the 70s their jerk blocks they made themselves out of wood planks and you name it i mean everything's homemade and the, the, the walls are lined with these records from decades of weightlifting history even before they used kilograms and everything was still in pounds just it was so cool and so unique and the complete antithesis of what I was used to when I was at Equinox and everything was high end luxury, perfectly pristine and clean all the time. This was the opposite of that. And I just, there was something so refreshing about it. And so I went to my first training session. My coach was like, he wasn't my coach at the time. He was just kind of there. And he was like, all right, you've got some potential. If you're interested in taking this to to the next level, let's do it. And so at that time I was like, okay. I I didn't really have any other plan as far as training went. And I had moved to a brand new city again. And so I decided to just go all in, and, and he has since he added helped me add fifty kilos to my total in a year, which was crazy. Like it was like forty-seven kilos, I think, from September of 2021 to up to, to October of 2022. I had a meet uh, literally a year apart. My first one I totaled 156, and my second, the one a year later, I totaled 200.
1: That is a uh, pretty significant, yeah. If you could add fifty kilos a year to your total. Yeah, you'll be clean and jerking six hundred pounds in no time.
0: Yeah, right, and because it's always exponential growth, right?
1: It's it's always it's always linear. It's even it's just always linear growth. The the beginner gains never stop. Right, I wish. So, are you still training in this old school two car garage environment? Sure, I am. Oh, you love it. You love to see it. That actually reminds me of one of my early. I've actually recorded a couple podcasts about like my early weightlifting days. There's something wonderful about the old school like garage gyms i trained in a garage for a long time and we had squat racks that were welded together from old hubcaps oh my goodness yep. the best the best equipment out there
0: and hey it's still going strong and no signs of wear and tear so what are the oldest
1: barbells do you know is there like an oldest barbell in in there cuz we had a barbell that was i think like 22 years old when i was lifting on it
0: I would not doubt that their barbell's probably that old or older and their plates too, their bumper plates. I mean, plates don't they don't really change, but they don't they don't wear and tear so much, but they're definitely plates that have been around for three or four decades.
1: I remember I remember warming up with a barbell once and my coach who who at the time was in his 70s was like, hey, you know. Dave, you know that barbell is older than you, right? Be careful with it. And I was like, I kind of freaked out. I was like, uh, he's like, don't worry. Actually, don't be careful with it. It's it's, it, it's indestructible. That's why it's lasted this long. Exactly. Um, do you have any advice for people when they are potentially moving to a new city and they're looking to find a new weightlifting or or barbell club? Any advice you would have for them?
0: That's a good question. I think like you said before, there's so many more options now than there were before. So I think proximity probably makes a difference. If you're going to commute somewhere, you don't want to probably commute an hour each way. So find somewhere that's close enough that you're not going to just one day decide you don't want to go because it's too far or the traffic's not good. So proximity is important, but I think more important, obviously, is the culture of the gym, the coaching staff. I think if it's just a weightlifting gym, you can probably assume that the coaches are properly certified, qualified to coach weightlifting. If it's a CrossFit gym, not every CrossFit gym has a weightlifting specific club or a barbell club. And so when it comes to CrossFit, I think there's a wider, potentially, I don't know for sure, because I haven't spent too much time in the CrossFit world, but a wider range of quality when it comes to coaching and experience too. Because to get your level one CrossFit cert, you have to just attend a weekend certification. So there's Potentially two gyms uh, a block away from each other. One whose owner and head coach got their level one last weekend and has never really coached before, and another one who also has a level one but has been coaching strength and conditioning for twenty years. So I think it's important for people to do their research and understand the background and qualifications of the the coaching staff, and then do a trial. You know, do a one week, one month, whatever trial period to make sure you like the energy and the culture in the club because that's what keeps people coming back. It's you know the lifting's fun and and PRs are great, but do you enjoy being there? I do enjoy the people that are there. Do you enjoy the people that are are leading the way and coaching? And is it something you're going to enjoy pushing yourself and and going back to day after day, week after week?
1: Rebecca, where is the best place or where are the best places, I should say, for people to follow along with you?
0: So my Instagram is where I spend most of my time when it comes to social media. So that's at Rebecca.Rouse, R-O-U-S-E. And then our company name is Semper Stronger. So semperstronger.com is our website at Semper Stronger on Instagram. Those are the primary places to find me.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure getting to chat with you. Only two years too late, only two years after Joel suggested it. So I do right. appreciate your time. Uh, it's been a
0: pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate yours as well. We'll do it again sometime.